All right. Uh, we're going to be in different places in the Bible today. Uh, so be ready to be turning to different places. Be ready just mainly to write some things down. Um, you can always listen to the podcast and uh, go back and get scripture verses that way. Um, the podcast can be found at basically just search for Lafayette Church and then S L Hall. Now, our church is located in a place called Lafayette, Virginia. Most people call it Lafayette, but we pronounce it Lafayette. The address to our church is 5310 Walthall Street, Ellison, Virginia, 24087. Uh, you feel free to write us, to contact us. Uh, you can get in touch with me. My email is s. L. Hall, 6670 at gmail.com. And I tell people that the 66 is for how many books are in the Bible, and the 70 is about the 70 weeks of Daniel, which is 490 years. But the 70 weeks, it just... That's not really why it's there, but that's why I'm telling. That's what I'm telling people. That's that's I, I adopted that because that email uh, came out a while back. Um, I can't remember how long, but anyway, that's my email, and I will start checking it more often <laughs> now that I have given it out. Um, I also just want everybody here to know some things about Scripture truth book company. Scripture Truth. I just want people that may be listening to know about them. Their phone number, 540-473-1481. You can reach them to do an online order at it's scripturetruth.com. They are at 458 Botetot Road, Fincastle, Virginia. 24090. They're open Monday through Friday from 9 to 6. They're open on Saturdays from 9 to 3. Don't go on Sunday. It's like Chick-fil-A. Don't go on Sunday. I just wanted that to be out there. And I have a confession to make. I went back to Scripture Truth on Friday. But I was working in that area. And it was pretty close to them closing, so I didn't think too much damage could happen. So I went by there and asked for permission to talk about them on the podcast. And uh, I would like to see them do well. For the little segment on why I preach from the authorized version, otherwise known as the King James Version of the King James Bible. In Matthew 4, that, that's, that's the story where Jesus has... Uh, been baptized, he's gone out into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Matthew 4.10 says, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou 
serve. That's what Jesus said to Satan. When Satan basically said, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, took him up to a really high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, just fall down and worship me just for a minute, and I'll give you all of this. And that's what Jesus responded with. So if Jesus said to him that it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That's a pretty good statement there. Now, there are some verses in Matthew, Mark, and mainly Matthew and Mark, and I'll, I'll mention a little bit of uh, uh, something on Luke. But if you, if you write down Matthew 9, 18. Matthew 9, 18. Now, in the King James Version, it, it speaks of Jesus being worshipped. But in other versions of the Bible, instead of worshipped him, it says bow down, like in the New American Standard. And then in the NIV, it'll say knelt. Okay? Is that, is that a big deal? In Matthew 20, 20, also, it says worshipping him talking about Jesus, but in the other versions, bowing down and kneeling down. And then in Mark 5, 6, it says, worshipped him. Other versions, bowed down, fell on his knees. Now, originally in Luke 24, 52, in the NAS, the, the, the New American Standard, Worshipping him and then going their way, was the, the worship part was just gone. Now in the New American Standard Bible, which is their latest, latest edition, they brought it back. So those are places in the Word of God where Jesus himself was being worshipped. They, they worshipped him. In other versions, it changed it to bow or to kneel. Now... Again, you can blow right by that and not even pick up on it. Jesus told Satan that you only worship God. Okay? If people were bowing down and worshiping Jesus, that means Jesus is God, which we all know that. So if you read the NIV, you are going to have certain verses that it's not going to say worship him. Okay? That's just one more reason why I preach from the King James Bible. And I, I, it would be nice to go into all these verses, and it's, all of them are great stories, but that's, that's not part of today's sermon, so there you go. Just one more example of why. Now, we're going to turn to Matthew. Well, I'm going to say, I think it was brought up on Wednesday. After we read the famous verse about the Word of God and how it divides, how it can go down and find the difference between the soul and the spirit, and 
I want to touch on that just for a minute. Every human being is made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We talked about that not that long ago. Now, in, I'm just going to mention in Matthew, so I want you to think about the body. Now, we're mainly concerned about the soul and the spirit, and I'm going to get more detail on that. But the, the body, the body you walk around in, the body is the seat of world consciousness. Through the five senses, we communicate with the world around us. Now, in Matthew 6, 25, it talks about how Jesus is telling people, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, and all that stuff. But it's something we, do, we are very concerned about. We want to eat every day. We want to have clothes. We want to have shelter. We want to protect this body of ours. If you don't go without eating for a length of time, you'll figure out why we need to eat. If you walked outside this morning, you understand why you want to have clothes to put on. So we are not to neglect our body, but we are not to get overly uh, concerned about all those things. Right? We're just instructed, you know, have some faith that God's looking out for you. You want to be wise and prepare those types of things, but don't get too crazy with all of that because God takes care of the birds, you know, he, he, he gives us examples of he takes care of, and you're worth way more than that. All right, here, here's what you've all been waiting for. The difference between the soul and the spirit. Okay, so let's, we are, I am going to turn to Luke, and I'll be in Luke 12. Got three Bibles up here. I forgot which one I had it marked in. Okay, I found it. Luke 12. I'm well-armed. I got three swords, double-edged swords. Watch out. The soul. The soul is the seat of self-consciousness. Okay? That's the soul. In Luke 12, starting with verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and, all, and my goods. Listen closely. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See how he was talking to his soul? You know, we have a soul and we start to reason with ourselves. 
We start to make plans for our life. We can, we can make plans for our future, and it's good to do that. But the soul is basically our seat of self-consciousness. So if we think too much about ourselves, we're selfish. Why do we think of others above ourselves? We have a spirit. Now with the spirit that we're given by God, that is the seat of God consciousness. See the difference? Without the spirit and having a God consciousness, then we're going to be more into satisfying this flesh, this body that we walk around in, and we're, we, we have a soul where we can reason and we can look out and, and we can plan for better things. All for us. But with God consciousness, because we have a spirit, we do things differently than just a person who does it. So basically an animal, just your average everyday beast of the field, they're all about protecting their bodies and it's all about what they feel. Yeah, I, I don't know when I mentioned, I was talking about the goats, that's probably in Sunday school, but I've got three goats. They're all male goats. The Bible talks about the goats being on his left and the sheep on his right. You, you don't want to be a goat. And the Bible is perfect in mentioning goats. Goats are the self, most selfish animals they're always worried about what the other one has. If you're down, if you're giving them a little sweet feed, watch out. The one they think that you're giving the other one more than you gave the one, and they're just fighting back and forth, making just checking everybody else out. I want to look in your bowl to make sure you didn't get more than what I got. Goats are selfish. They're pitiful and they stink. They're something else, but they do keep the brush out of areas. So they do have their uh, purpose, and they're around so that when we read the Bible and we see that you do not want to be referred to as a goat. Now I know. It's very significant to me. Okay, in, uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read chapter 2. 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. You know, and, and, and just make a note, Proverbs 20, 27 says, The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That's Proverbs 20, 27. The Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It reminds me of John chapter 1. Just talked about it recently. That little light that Jesus gives to every person that comes into the earth. That little light. That's the Spirit. And you have to listen to Sunday, uh, I mean, Wednesday night's message to get all the details of that. Talking about not hardening, not allowing the heart to be hardened and the whole, the whole uh, deal with that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and I, brethren, when I came to you, listen to these words, come, 
came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or accept Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. That was out of Isaiah 64. But God hath, here's, here's the part about the Spirit, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. See, if you just go by man's wisdom, you're going to be disappointed. And I talk about all these men of wisdom that you know I like, and I'll go buy their books, and, and, I'll, and I'll read what they have to say. I'll learn a lot from them. But if I got totally wrapped up in what all these men said from years gone by, I would end up messing up. I have got to rely on the Holy Spirit. I have to empty myself and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. If I didn't have the Spirit that God gave me, I wouldn't have that God consciousness, and I must have that. And, and we come to church, we come to Sunday school, we read our Bibles through the week, we pray, we do all those things because we want to strengthen the spiritual part of us and become less worried about the body, this flesh that we live in, less concerned about what we want, and more concerned about what God wants. That's why we do what we do. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit man which is in him, or except the word save, is uh, that, that word save here, I've read it a couple times so far, it's except the spirit man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. 
which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." That was 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I just wanted to clear that thing up. I've been searching and looking and trying to figure out a good way to, to describe you know, what the soul, because everybody's got a soul and everybody's got a spirit. When we read that verse Wednesday about the two-edged sword, the Word of God penetrating into a person, it can find the soul and the spirit. It that, that the Word of God, it will find out why you do the things you do. The intent of your heart, it gets that deep into you. So we need the Word of God. The Word of God is very important. So I hope that helps a little bit on uh, soul and spirit. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about rightly dividing the word of truth. Turn in your Bible to uh, 2 Timothy. A lot of scripture today. 2 Timothy. I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Very important verse. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, we just talked about the mystery, you know, reading 1 Corinthians. Um, there are things that God hid from certain people so that because if they knew all things, they wouldn't have crucified Christ, and it's all part of a plan. And over the next several teachings, it might be on Wednesday and Sundays, we're going to really get into how the big picture looks. It's, it's cool. It's really neat. Now, I have, building up to right now, I've shared a whole lot of it already, and I feel like we've got a good base now to where I can go back and say, remember that, remember that, and then help you understand this, this mystery that's been hid from the ages. I'm tempted to read the rest of, the rest of uh, chapter 2, but let's go over to chapter 3. You can read, I would, I would suggest that you read it on your own study time, because it just said right here, study. The Bible's telling you, study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, let's see. The last verse of two is, and they that, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, 
who are taken captive by him at his will, this know also, chapter 3, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, right? If you're just a, if you're just a soulish person, only the soul, you just have a body and a soul, and you're really weak on the spirit part, this is what will happen to you. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. That's a whole, we can get into the whole sermon there. Without, uh, we, we've done those before. Truth, uh, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Big church organizations that I won't name, but there's many of them. Not just one, there's many big-time church organizations that have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Again, all this is playing into what, if I did everything I wanted to do, we'd be here till 7 o'clock tonight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch it out over, it's going to be weeks. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, different lust. Now, creep into houses through, through radio, through TV. They, there's a, the devil has so many avenues he can use now to creep in. We have to be people that are on guard and not allow certain things to get into our homes. It messes up uh, our loved ones. Seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men. So sooner or later, they're going to be found out. But until that happens, a lot of damage gets done. So as theirs also was, talking about the two people who were against Moses... 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. And Paul's doctrine is a good doctrine. Just read Romans. Yeah, that's some good doctrine right there. There's a lot of good stuff Paul wrote. It's in our Bibles. We can read every bit of it. Uh, so Paul says, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at 
Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Don't, don't be afraid of it. It's going to come. He'll deliver you just like he delivered Paul. It may be the ultimate delivery, you dying and going to be with Jesus. That's going to be awesome. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or, you know, complete. He'll grow up and be mature in the Lord, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Now, I'm going I'm to read a little uh, thing out of this book here. It's called, it's called The Answer Book. And here's a question that this guy got. This, this man's name is Dr. Samuel C. Gipp, G-I-P-P, uh, Gipp. He was asked... Will a Bible college education clear up the controversy over the issue of a perfect Bible? Someone gave me a printout of uh, someone who ministers online that kind of led me back to this question. Now the answer is no. The question is, will a Bible college education clear up the controversy over the issue of a perfect Bible? Because I feel like I have the perfect Bible right here in front of me. I feel like that, that God had his hand on translating the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek into the English language and his hand was on it so that the dominant language of the world, which is English, will carry on his word. Okay? Hebrew, Greek, we have Latin was a dominant language, now we have English, which is the dominant language over the whole world. You go to other countries, they are very adamant about learning English compared to what, what, we, what we do. Now, the answer, no. About 99 out of, a, of 100 times, a Bible college education will either confuse or destroy a student's faith in the perfect Bible. That's what will happen. Explanation. 
There are many benefits to a Bible college education. A student can learn invaluable lessons on pastoring and church planning. A student weak on doctrine can be grounded in his faith. Friendships and experiences from Bible college days will often last a lifetime. Unfortunately, faith that God has a perfect Bible is more often than not a victim of Bible college education rather than a beneficiary. The reason is simple. Most Bible colleges are staffed by, listen, very well-meaning men, many who indeed love the Lord, who are victims of Alexandrian teaching. Now, if, if you really get into the manuscripts, and I've done this years gone by, I've really searched out the different manuscript collections. The Alexandrian manuscripts come out of Alexandria, Egypt. It was a huge library there. Manuscripts got corrupted there. Now, the manuscripts that come out of Antioch are the ones that can be trusted. So, in the 1800s, many wise men got a hold of the writings coming out of the Alexandrian manuscripts. And every time I read to you and show you where the, new, the newer versions of the Bible are different, it's because of the Alexandrian ideology or those manuscripts that were corrupted years ago. And as you, go, as you look at all these differences, which over time you're going to see a bunch of them, if you keep coming here and listening to this, you're going to see a bunch of places where it has been changed. But it's more sophisticated. The people of higher learning, they're all attracted to this stuff. What did, Paul, what I, what did I read to you that Paul talked about the Spirit and how I didn't come to you with these wise words, these enticing words, all of this stuff to, to make you say, wow, look at him. He was weak. He was trembling. He was no different than everybody else. He was a person that allowed what Paul was a very brilliant person. If you go back and look at his upbringing, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was taught by uh, Gamamele or whatever his name is. He was the teacher of that day. He was very well educated, and he had to realize that I'm, I'm not coming to you with all that knowledge. I, I, just, I just pray that God will empty me and use the Holy Spirit so that I can come and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's all you need. That's what Paul was saying. Bible college can mess people up. And what's really sad is when, when a person goes to Bible college and you, and you think they're going to come out that much better, but they come out holding their Bibles like, ugh. They're not so sure that they have the Word of God anymore. The Word of God is so important. Now, all Scripture is inspired. Now, and, I, and I've heard some really good people say, well, the originals are inspired. Of course they were. But they have a doubt that through time 
and copying over and over that they stay true. Well, I don't think that way. I have faith that God said that His Word will endure forever, that it was translated over into English, and I have total confidence that the Bible I have right here in front of me is perfect. Now, these wise people, wise men, will come to me and say, well, what about Easter instead of Passover in Acts? I love it when they do that because I've got an answer for them. There's several places that I have been challenged, and, and like I said before, I have gone to the Word of God. I have gone, I've researched it, and I have found out that everything the Bible says is good to go. You just don't have to have any doubts in it. The, the, the King James Bible will not lead you astray. All right? Okay, let me finish up. Just to give you an idea of where we're going. This is, this, is a different, this is a different sermon today. It's more of an overview and setting up what's coming. We're going to be in we're going to be in Matthew. Just like Genesis is critical to understand. Uh, kingdom kids, they're going through Genesis right now, right? Y'all are y'all have been in Genesis. You've been talking about Genesis. It's so important to get a foundation. It's why it's at the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible for good reason. You need to know it well. And when you get to the New Testament, what starts it? Matthew. Why? There's four Gospels. Have you ever asked yourself, why four Gospels? Why does there have to be four Gospels? I've hinted on it in, in, you know, in the past. I've hinted why, you know, where, where Matthew comes from as far as the Lion of Judah. The king, he, Jesus, it presents Jesus as being the king of the nation of Israel. Mark presents Jesus as a servant. You read through Mark, you will see all kinds of, of things that talk about him being a servant. There will be things in Mark that's not in the other Gospels that show you what a servant's heart he had, how he was referred to, how he referred to himself. In Luke, he's the son of man, about being human, being God in the flesh. In Matthew, it's, it, his genealogy goes back to Abraham being the, being the Jewish nation, but in Luke, the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, showing that he's uh, you know, all the way back to Adam, just like all of us. And then in John, he's the son of God. It's a very spiritual book. Remember the four faces of the cherubim. You have the face of a lion, matches up with Matthew. You have the face of an ox, max, max, it's a, you know, a work animal. That matches up with Mark. There's a face of a man on the cherubim, matches up with Luke. And what's the last face? Face of an eagle, flying high above, looking over everything. 
spiritual book, book of John. So next week we, we will be in, uh, you can read ahead in Matthew 13. Matthew 13. There's parables throughout Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is a transitional chapter. Next week, or I'll have to decide on if I'm going to do what I'm going to do on Wednesday. I might do something different to just make this a Sunday thing. I haven't decided yet. I'll let the Spirit lead me. Uh, but transitional book. I want you to remember how when Jesus first came and he was talking to his disciples and he said, go out to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. But then something happened, and all of a sudden, he's sending everybody out to the Gentiles. People say, oh, it's, it's uh, Jesus, is not, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's, he, he's confused. He don't know who he came to save. It's all part of God's plan. And you're going to see it in those parables. So read ahead. Read all the parables. It's, it's really, it's seven parables. Some people will say it's eight, but it's the sower, the seed, and the soil. That's talked about twice. But the first one, the first four parables in Matthew 13, Jesus talking to everybody. And you'll see a place where he sends the multitude away, and then he says he talks three real quick parables that he speaks to his disciples. Read about those, and over the next few Sundays, we're going to cover them all. And it's going to show you the whole plan from beginning of time until Jesus comes back, all in that little space of Matthew 13. It's going to show you, show you that. Gonna be good. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will study to show ourselves approved, to show that we love you and trust your word, that we have confidence that all scripture is inspired, every bit of it and that we hold it in our hands, and with a childlike faith, we'll believe it because you said so. And Father, I pray that we would be people who would be more looking to be stronger on the spirit side of things and less in the soul and the body, but we would look more to being more spiritual and growing in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.